Hello and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my determination to ensure that nobody ever goes to what I've been through. That is hating their nine to five and living only for the weekends. Hi everyone, welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is part two of our very lovely interview with Ashley Woodman, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who I've spent and so lucky to have spent a huge amount of time with, both watching him race, but also asking him and interviewing him and finding out more about his life, his journey from launching a successful business to now racing for a living and the amazing, amazing success he's seen in both areas. And really, this kind, this this part two obviously builds on part one, which I highly, highly encourage you to listen to. And uh, if you have already, then look forward to part two. And I hope you enjoy uh, this uh, this this interview. Thank you. You're in charge of your own destiny. If you're going to do something like sales, it doesn't matter what you do, but if you do it, and you do it as if it's your business, yeah. and, you put, you, and you've got passion, if, if you're in a job where you can't have passion, then you're in the wrong job. Um, I remember buying, um, I've still got it, the MS-DOS Bible, MS-DOS oh 3.3, yeah. and it said the MS-DOS Bible. Nobody knew about IT. They didn't really understand what MS-DOS was, yeah. Microsoft Disk Operating System. Yeah. So when they saw the word Bible on it, they thought it was a Bible basher. <laughs> I'd be on the plane reading it and people oh would shuffle God. away, going to an airport yeah. reading, on the hotel reading. And then I'd put the book down with, yeah. a, with a marker in it and say Bible on it, ms oh Bible. God. Ash, how you doing? Really good. We are back at it again. Yeah. Um, it's taking some time. It's taking some time. But um, I want to I take us back to a bit that personally made my hair or my arm stick up, which was you mentioned that piece in your life where you know you were homeless, you went through this crazy phase in your life, and there's a bit where you're describing where you're holding the beer. Holding the beer, and you had the words of your dad in your head. Yeah. And the suit. Yes, the suit. And you left the beer there and walked out. Take yeah. us back to just that kind of moment, if you don't mind. Uh, I'd gone to the pub. My dad had given me the money. Uh, and I'd gone to the local pub and this guy said, do you fancy a game of snooker? Yeah. Uh, so there's no snooker club around here. He said, there's one in Leeds. I said, yeah, OK. And it happened just outside the central Leeds. Five-minute walk. Um, got in there. We set the balls up. Got the beer, started playing, and it was the first beer, second beer of the day, because we'd gone straight away yeah. um, from the previous pub. And as I played, all that's, all that's in my head was, my dad's going to sell this car, give me the money, and, asked, and told me to go and buy a suit and get a job. Yeah. I can't let him down. And I'm playing and drinking the beer at the same time. Yeah. And I never leave, I never used to leave beer. Yeah. <clears throat> I got halfway down the beer, put it down, looked at the guy and said, I'm sorry, I've got to go. He was obviously surprised because <laughs> there were only two of us. So yeah. he had no mates around him. Yeah. Um, and that was it. I put it down, um, walked out, and thought, this is it, I'm going to have to change. 
Yeah. Walked into town, walked into Topman. And the strange thing is I used to work for Topman. It was one of my first jobs. Yeah. And I thought, where do I go? I'll go to Topman. I went to Topman. Bought a suit. Yeah. And that was the that was the That was the start, I guess. That was the catalyst, that was yeah. the change. You know, yeah. If I hadn't had a suit I wouldn't be able to get a job. Yeah. Um and I started looking for a job. And I got offered a job. I went for an interview with the Yorkshire Post, classified, because um, it's really all I knew was how to sell. And I thought, well, I've never sold advertising space before, that's going to be the go. Um, and blow me down, they gave me the job. And that was the start of the, now I had a job, now I had an yeah. income. Um, it also gave me money to drink, so I continued to drink. Yeah, yeah. Um, continued to be uh, a mess, really. Yeah, um, getting up in the morning, hungover. I remember there was a point in time you mentioned that you uh, you actually left work, went drinking, and you were drinking till like early early morning hours, and then yeah. you kind of went to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the next day. Yeah, yeah. There were times that. <coughs> Lots of times like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Drink, find the nightclub that was open, which in those days was quite difficult, but we always found places, lock-ins, where we could actually drink until... Just keep until, going. Yeah, keep going. But I wasn't doing that then. I'd done that previously. Yeah. Now it was, okay, I'll just do pub opening hours. Yeah. Um, and obviously, as soon as the pub was open, I was in. Yeah. As soon as it shut, I was home, fast asleep. It was a weekend, get up on a Saturday, wait for the doors to open. Basically, stood outside waiting for them to open. Yeah. But I had nothing to do. I had nowhere to go. I had no no aim in life. <clears throat> I was just bumbling along on a daily basis. Yeah. But always at the back of my mind is, I, one day I'll, I'll work for myself. One day I'll get out of this. One day it will happen. Um, and that is part of the problem, because when you're in that position, you think it's going to happen, but you don't make it happen. And it was yeah. getting up on the morning thinking, where's the next drink or where's the next bit of excitement going to come from? Yeah. And the only excitement I had was going to the pub, playing pool, getting drunk. And that was it. That, that idea worked for yourself, right? Um, I'm very passionate about trying to get people to start a side hustle, start their own business, you know, be their own boss, if that's what they want to do. For you, where does that come from, that idea of wanting to work for yourself? Where did that kind of come from? <clears throat> I'd always wanted to do it. As a kid, I didn't like... I've never liked being told what to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was probably one of the worst employers that you could get. <laughs> yeah. I hated policies and procedures. <clears throat> um, I used to question everything. You know, yeah. Why do I have to do it that way? Yeah. yeah. What's the outcome? And with large companies, you do have to have policies and procedures because I yeah. found that out when I started my own business. Probably to say, yeah, yeah. But there were times when I think this is not right. That yeah. There's a better way of doing this. Yeah. And uh, I remember working for a motorsports company. And I think I, I, I'm not sure if we covered this in the last uh, in the last interview. Well, we'd have baskets, and we used to get a sheet that told us what we had to put in the baskets. And the baskets would go outside the motorsports shop. Yeah. So summer sponges. Um, hoss cleaning equipment cleaning stuff yeah and yeah. it would be full of car shampoo sponges yeah. uh, and hopefully people would go along and go oh I want to wash my car I need a sponge did the shampoo come in and buy it yeah 
and it was chucking it down as rain one day, it was the middle of summer, and it absolutely chucked it down. And I went into the back and I knew we had a stack of umbrellas. Why a motor spare shop had a stack of umbrellas, I have no idea, but they did. Um, so I grabbed the, I actually got the sponges, chucked them on the floor in the back as fast as I could, put the umbrellas in it, put them outside, and sold every single one of them. The area manager was walking past at the time, came in, well, I think there was one umbrella left in it. And they said, what's this? And it was a basket that was full of umbrellas. But why is it here? Well, because it's raining. People have been buying umbrellas. They don't want to buy sponges. <laughs> yeah. He went mad. He said, you get a sheet through every week that tells you what to put in those baskets. I don't care what, what the weather's doing. I don't care about anything. You follow that to the, to, um, to the letter. Yeah. And I looked at it and found it, it's like, but I've just sold all the stock that you've had of Umbrellas yeah. in, uh, in an hour. Which wouldn't have fun otherwise. Yeah. Which would, when, when did you want to put them <coughs> out? Yeah. When people aren't walking past. So in the middle of winter, they're going to go into town with an umbrella. Yeah. yeah. They're going to go into town with jackets, with, with raincoats on. Today was a sunny day when it started, it's chucking it down, yeah. and we've got people walking outside with, with shirts on, t-shirts on. It's prime It's prime, prime time, time to sell umbrellas. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that, yeah. that no initiative, and you yeah. weren't, in certain places you weren't allowed to use your initiative. Um, so yeah, I'd have been a bad employee. <laughs> but obviously I know, um, and we, 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 we began going into your journey towards building your own business and it was an IT right is that right yeah for every job that I did I always assumed I, I always imagined that it was my business so I took responsibility for what I was doing yeah because I knew one day I'd have my own business I didn't know what it was going to be at um, when I went to the Yorkshire Evening Post uh, classified I was going to work my socks off at doing that and imagine it was my business because who knows, I may have start, started a yeah. business with a magazine which we actually did try and, um, try and do at one point. That failed. Um, if I did, It didn't get off the ground in any way, shape or form. But it was, you know, maybe I could do this. Maybe yeah. I could get a magazine. Maybe I could start selling advertising in it. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so every job I did, I treated it as if it was my my own business that's a key point I don't think many people appreciate this that when you are even an, an employee it can be quite valuable to see your job as I am the boss of my own of my own area you're in charge of your own destiny and if you're going to do something like sales it doesn't matter what you do but if you do it and you do it as if it's your business yeah. and, you put, you, and you've got passion if, if you're in a job where you can't have passion then you're in the wrong job. You've got to have passion for what you're doing. If you can do that, and then you treat it as if it's your own business, don't think about trying to please your bosses. Don't try and think about trying to please everybody else. Think about hitting your targets. Think about hitting your own expectations. What would you do and expect of yourself if it was your own business? Absolutely. And if you know that, then, you, then you'll naturally rise within the business. Now, if you want to work for yourself, fine. If you want to stay working in a corporate environment, fine, that's great. Because there's lots of people out there that have made their way up to the top of these companies. Look at banks, look at building societies, 
Look firms. at chemical companies, look at the managing directors, the chairs of these companies, and a lot of them have started on the, on, on the shop floor and yeah. worked their way up because they've had that passion for the business that they work for. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that because they can get up that, the, the money to be earned in places like that. You can see it's millions. Yeah. Uh, some of them get paid millions a year. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got that passion, you will naturally rise to the top. You'll, you'll rise to the point where people will recognise you for what you're doing and then recognise... It's really easy in sales because you get figures they're, they're, and they're black and white uh, and red. Yeah, so it's not black and white or red and white. Yeah. If it's red, you're not doing very well. You're failing. Yeah. If it's black, well, it's how black is that ink? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many numbers are there? <clears throat> and the more numbers, the more successful you be. And if you're in commission or bonuses, then that naturally will return back to you in, in cash. Yeah. And your living will get better. Your lifestyle will get better. Um, it's about taking responsibility for what you're doing because the, you will get recognised if you do that. Those that don't, then you're in the wrong company. One of the things that I get asked a lot is, you know, Mo, you speak a lot about passion and do what you love, but I don't know what my passion is, right? And there's a perception, I think there's one perception that you wake up one day and realise, oh yeah, this is my passion. I don't think it works like that. I mean, in, in, in your case, you kind yeah, of... It didn't work that way. <coughs> yeah. No, it was... It was an opportunity when I'd, I'd gone to work for... I'd left... I'd met my wife. <coughs> we weren't married then, but I'd met my future wife then. Uh, I realised I needed to grow up. And that's when I stopped drinking. And that was an overnight thing. It was um, overnight, really? Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, wow. I had to... I, I, I met the love of my life, and it was like, if I continue drinking like this, yeah. she's going to think I'm a waste of time. And I was, and a waste of space. And I was. Um, and it was, I got to stop. So I did. Um, and then I thought, this is my lifetime partner. Now is the time I've got to find what I need to do or yeah. what I want to do and I thought it was always going to be in sales um, because I had no qualifications in any way shape or form for anything um, I think I passed one O level English um, and another O level I think I got D in I'm not sure whether that was a pass or not <laughs> uh, so I think I got one O level which was English yeah. um, so sales was, was the way I was going to go and I got offered a job selling mobile phones for a company called Cartel and I hated it absolutely hated it. it it was a proper grabbing everything they possibly could racist company very as soon as a, an Asian name came up no really I was like what this was in was within a week um, the following week I never took time off sick the following week I took time off sick and went around the agencies looking for the job but I just couldn't believe how backward the company was yeah um, so I, I got I'd been to Thompson Local because I saw I was used to selling advertising space so I went for an interview with them and I got an interview selling IT equipment a distributor in Bradford 
So I went for that interview. And I had two interviews, and I got asked for a third one. And when I went in there, Steve Bellamy, brilliant guy, who now lives in Australia, he was a sales director. And we'd have to take this, um, uh, what's the test called? Um, personality type test. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. remember what they're called now. Attitude. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I took it. <clears throat> and this was my last final interview. Yeah. And it was just being here. And, and he just said, this says that you and I are going to clash. We're not, are we? <laughs> and as soon as he said, we're not, are we? I've got the job. And I knew I'd got the job. Yeah. Um, then we discussed the wage and he said what do you want at the moment I told him he said what are you expecting I said I'm happy to be the same he said well in this business we have a, a we have it in stages can't remember what they called it and, it and he actually offered me two and a half thousand pounds more a year than I was earning and he said wow. that's where you sit yeah. and you get a commission a bonus yeah. and blah 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 I went straight outside Phone box. Do you remember phone boxes, guys? <laughs> Big red thing with the phone inside. <laughs> Open the door. Um, first thing I did was phone Sherlock. Said, I've got the job. Yeah. Um, second thing I did was I phoned Thompson Mill Club because they'd been Ummi and Ari and Ummi and Ari. And um, I said, um, I want to know if I got the job, yes or no. I just want, tell me, dead straight. Straight up, yeah. Because it was a well, 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 and, and stop, stop the well, well. Have I got the job, yes or no? And he said, yes, you have. I said, well, just to let you know, I've actually accepted another job. I just wanted you to know that. You took too long to make the decision. Thanks yeah. very much anyway for the, for, for the opportunity. Yeah. Never should slam the door shut. Um, that was the end of that. Went back, uh, went back home and said, I've taken the job in IT. Why? Because I've never done it before. I don't even know what it is. I've no idea what I'm selling. But that would, that would freak some people out. Like, like you know, many people would kind of shy away from doing something that they've never done before. So this is back to having, taking responsibility and having a passion in what you're doing. I've always wanted to get into IT, but I couldn't get in. Um, I've taken lots of these tests for a company called Hepless. Um, Hepless Tailors, because I wanted to get to IT and, and I couldn't yeah. go in on their main framework. And I said, you're no good for IT. Everything on here says it's just not for you. Yeah. So good luck in the future. I took it five times and five times I failed it. But that, that IT kind of bug <coughs> came from, if I recall correctly, someone showing you how to format a computer or something. And no, you, was no, that later? So this, is, this, is like, this is now. Right, okay. This is now when I've got this job. So this is about the passion uh, and about taking responsibility. I said to Shelley, with no choice, I'd need to go and buy a computer. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. I need to learn yeah. about computers. Yeah. So we went to Comet, uh, before Comet went bust, all those years ago, and I bought an Amstrad. <laughs> yeah. I bought an Amstrad 2086 PC, and I said, I need to know what I'm doing, I need to yeah. know what I'm selling. And that's what we did. And that was the month before, You're gonna uh, start. before I was going to start. Yeah. Yeah. It's about doing your homework. And the only way I could do my homework then, there was no Google, there was, there yeah. was internet, but there was no Google, there was no way of searching, there was yeah. no way of researching anything on the internet, not like we do today. You know, nowadays, today, you go to Google, and, the, and absolutely, I would, I, I would say to anybody, whatever 
whatever you're doing, whatever you choose, get onto Google, start researching the subject. There's start so reading. much out there, right? I mean, it's YouTube, there's like, there's like video guides how to do anything. Guy for everything. Research, search and search and search. Yeah. And, and fill yourself full of knowledge. The other way I could do that was to buy a computer, which is what I did, and yeah, that's the computer that I trashed. Got the guy, which I told you about in the, in the previous interview, that came and gave me a yeah. 20-minute lesson on it, and I, and I just went, wow, this is for me. Um, I learned so much in that 20 minutes that I think, if you remember, I did it again. Yeah. I killed it, and then I rebuilt on it purpose, yeah, On purpose, yeah. On purpose. And I remember Shirley saying to me, no, don't do that, don't do that, too late, done it. And then off I went again. And I rebuilt it. And then I started to learn batch files and, and um, how to load uh, command.com into uh, an auto-exec into memory yeah. to make things quicker, how to free up memory. It, it was brilliant. I loved every second of it. And I was just sucking all the information in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd go to bookshops and buy books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember buying, um, I've still got it, the MS-DOS Bible MS-DOS oh 3.3 yeah. and it said the MS-DOS Bible nobody knew about IT they didn't really understand what MS-DOS was yeah. Microsoft Disk Operating System yeah. so when they saw the word Bible on it they thought it was a Bible basher <laughs> I'd be on the plane reading it and people oh would shuffle God. away in <laughs> or the hotel reading and then I'd put the book down with, yeah. a, with a marker in it and say Bible on it MS-DOS oh Bible um, and it was quite funny was that but I, I read, and it was that thick, and I read it front to back, hundreds of times. And any issues, I knew exactly where to look. Yeah, and I got, I knew the stuff inside out. So when I started the job, and I'd learned, I, I was learning more and more and more. When customers started to ask me questions, I think even the, the guys that employed me, Steve, Steve was surprised as well that I actually had answers. Mm. And I built up a real, I built up a fantastic customer base because I start asking them questions. And don't be afraid of asking customers questions about something that you don't know. There's nothing. Don't ever be afraid of not knowing something. And don't ever be afraid of asking the question. Because if it's a brand new client, what are you going to do when you're selling something to somebody? You want to find out what their needs are, what their requirements are. So you've got to ask them questions. Sometimes they'll give you an answer that you don't understand the answer. Well, ask them what they mean. Mm -hmm. That way, A, you, you, you can get a relationship going with the client. And B, you learn. And you learn an awful lot. Yeah. And you might lose a few clients on the way because they think that you don't know what you're talking about. But by the time you've got to the fifth, sixth, seventh, you've picked up or the fiftieth client, yeah. you've picked all this information up and suddenly yeah. you know as much as they do, if not more. Yeah. very rare you're going to find that you know more about their business than they do because that's never going to happen but at least you can go in there with knowledge uh, and make them feel comfortable that you know what you're talking about and, and I think that actually works in every strain of life absolutely whatever you're doing yeah, yeah. that's what you do when you make friends exactly yeah. you when, make you, when you first make friends you ask questions <clears> of each other you make an effort to get to know them and, and yeah yeah do the same with customers. Do the same with employees. Do the same with your bosses. Yeah, yeah. I want to go into um, into your business and, and how that. I know we touched on it very briefly. Um, what kind of? Uh, 
not into too much detail, but I want to kind of understand from your perspective, as someone who is who has been in business, you you launched your own, you were very successful in that space. What were the main kind of challenges early on when you when you began in that in that world? And how did you kind of it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that hard to start because I'd already built up a customer base given the previous employment that I had. Um, and I'd worked for a distributor. I'd now worked for uh, um, an end user based IT company, Value Added Reseller. Um, so I'd already had a years worth of experience of dealing with clients from an end user perspective, whereas before I was selling to the reseller. Now I'm selling from the reseller to the end user. Um, so it, it actually wasn't that hard to do. I'd already, I, I knew who my suppliers were. I knew what um, what everything cost. I knew how to, how much margin I needed to make. That was that was that wasn't that hard. And it was just a matter of picking the phone up and, and having the guts to pick up the phone and speak to strange people that you'd never spoken to before. Um, and then telling them what I was doing. So the, in the beginning, it was fairly easy because I knew what I was doing, I knew what I was selling, I knew the products, and I knew the market. Um, which is the main thing. You've got to know your market. There's no point trying to sell something into a market that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, or, or, <clears throat> or, or to in our business, taking a product on that doesn't fit your customer base. Yeah. That's a good point. I used to have lots of companies coming to me and say, we want you to sell this for us. And I'd look at it and go, yeah, but that's like £750,000 for that one piece of kit. I haven't got a single client that could afford that, let yeah. alone would want it. Yeah. Um, they're not banks, they're not finance, finance houses. Yeah, yeah, but the market will grow for it. Yeah, but then we have to open that market and they're going to say, well, experience have you got this market, we haven't got it. So that's the kind of thing you've got to be very careful of. The difficulty came, the hardest bit was getting the credit limit. So I ended up getting somebody to back me to start with and we got the credit limit. Um, Did I find it hard? I didn't find it hard because I was passionate about what I was doing. I was learning all the time, IT, early days. I was learning all the time in 1995 onwards. IT was beginning to do this. Um, and then I got asked to go on a, a compact course for switches. I think we went through this. And I remember doing the course, passing it, uh, passing the exam. And I, said, and I remember going home and saying, networking. Networking is going to be where it's going to be. And rather than do a complete chase to networking, I kept doing my hardware and started selling networking at the side of it. So the hardware stayed where it was and I would build the networking up. Um, And it was really monitoring the market, monitoring what the market was doing, where it was going. And sometimes that was trying to look into the future and looking at products that actually didn't exist. Or sometimes thinking there's a product, there's a gap in the market for this product, but no one's filled it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not a developer, I'm not a designer, I'm a salesperson. So I keep my eye on the market and, what, and I think, I, and 
there's always when you sit, even I could see it back then that there's a gap in the market for a product and the product doesn't exist so keeping an eye waiting for that product to exist somebody will design it if I've seen it somebody else has seen it so all I'm waiting for now is for them to come in and fill that gap and that's what I, and that's what I do I wait I sit and wait for them to fill the gap grab the products and say right now I'm going to go out and sell it being a, a, a being early if you like was that right you were kind of because it was early and because I was starting early in, in the IT industry it was a lot easier yeah the hardest part was getting the credit yeah yeah because you could in those days it was pretty easy for anybody to sell 50 or 100 PCs yeah funding it yeah impossible no bank would, would, would back you so I ended up with this with this partner that would help me do that eventually he disappeared um I managed to get um, another partner in and then I bought him out and I ended up 100% ownership uh, of the business. How many years were you, uh, were you running, running the business for? And, like, what was your kind of the, the time frame? 24. 24 years? Yeah. Wow. Include the first, uh, include another year yeah. because we were planning for a year yeah. to get the business up and running. Yeah. So 25 years, but I ran the business the business ran for 24 years with us in charge. So what, to what degree did you find it hard to <coughs> scale and grow? Very hard. Scaling was the most difficult thing. Um, we, we started in Bradford and we just couldn't get staff in Bradford. No matter how hard we tried, we couldn't get trained technicians. We couldn't attract salespeople. We were a small business. <coughs> Nobody wanted to work for a small business. Uh, and nobody wanted to travel into Bradford to come and work there. No, no disrespect to Bradford, but everybody wants to be in Leeds, which is where the centre of the IT probably. You know, you look at uh, Leeds, Manchester, London. Um, so they're the kind of places where people want, wanted to, to work. <coughs> nobody wanted to work for a small reseller in Bradford. So I made a decision. Uh, you won't remember the rights in Bradford, but we had some horrendous rights in Bradford. And at that point, I said, that's it, guys. We've got to get out of Bradford. And we have to go to Leeds. And we found an old run-down police station. Um, and I said, we're not going to rent. I won't rent. I'm not going to fill somebody else's pension. So whatever we do, we buy. And I bought the police station. <laughs> had, to wow. get, had to get the mortgage. <clears throat> it had been a business before but it was it, it was the old police station um, I think two or three companies had, had it before um, so yeah I bought the police station we did the best that we could inside um, but it was old and it was it was nooks and crannies inside you know to get from one side to the other you yeah. had to walk up and downstairs and it really wasn't for an IT company but we owned it yeah. oh well the bank owned it, yeah. um, plus our deposit. And I hate owing money, and I like to be safe. So I said our target is, is to build a business the best we can, and to be the best of what we can. Um, and I want to pay for, I want to be able to pay the mortgage off in the building. And we worked our socks off, and we paid the mortgage off in 2008, right at the beginning of the recession oh my god wow 
Um, and I didn't, we didn't even know the recession was happening. We'd heard about it, yeah. that something was happening, but it wasn't affecting us. In fact, it didn't affect us for a year. So really? we didn't have to get hit until 2009-10. It was the end of 2009, beginning of 2010. What, what was it that made it. you, what was it that made the business almost uh, not be as affected or affected at all for the Budgets, first? I think. Companies have budgets and they were spending them with us. And companies also, well, I'll tell you in a second. About the mortgage, 2008, um, Shirley came and said, I can either pay as a dividend or pay the mortgage. I said, pay the mortgage. I thought, right, okay. yeah, pay the mortgage off. If we could be debt free, it means um, if anything happens to the company, we still own the building and they can't take the building mm-hmm. away from us. Um, so <clears throat> that's that was the move to Leeds we bought the property it didn't lend itself to IT so we didn't actually ask that many people to come and visit when they did sometimes we gained clients from it sometimes we didn't Some, a lot of times we got you're too small, you're too small we're not too small we're, we're a specialist business we actually have more network technicians than the Hewlett-Packard have in this country, all sat downstairs, but because they come up to meeting rooms upstairs, they didn't see downstairs, when they saw downstairs, uh, it was an old building, it's like, well, there's still not that many people in, yeah. and there were people dotted around in all sorts of rooms. We were too small. Uh, we're not small, we're specialists. This is what we do. We don't do those, uh, what we don't do, we don't do, what we do do, we do really, really well. Yeah. So if you ask us, to do something that we don't do we won't do it yeah because we don't we don't want to risk you and your IT um, so we paid the building off uh, and then the recession started to hit and it was like oh my god what are we going to do now well okay the building's ours we own it so they, they can't take that away from us and I started to look at the market and said, well, people are going to stop buying, so they're going to sweat the products. So they're going to sweat the equipment. So in those days, I think a server replacement was every five years and a PC replacement was something like every three years. Um, and it's constantly going on. And I said, they're going to sweat the PCs for five years and they're going to sweat the servers for eight years, nine years, ten years if they can do that. And if you think about recession, the companies aren't going to expand. They're not going to take more employees on. So they're not going to need more computing power. So the only thing that they can do is keep what they've got going. It probably isn't going to get under load. So they'll continue as they are. So what do we need to do? And I bought some specialist networking equipment for doing network analysis and troubleshooting. But what it could do is it could do things like look at latency on networks and, it could, and you could work out whether the latency was caused by the application, the server or the network or a mixture. And so what you're going to find is the systems will start to break down, hard drives will fail, servers will slow down because of equipment failures, networks will start to slow down because of equipment failures. Um, right guys, let's start concentrating on doing network analysis. And that's what we did. So we switched. We were still selling the hardware, but we switched our target, our focus, onto troubleshooting and not trying to sell new. Mm. And the result of that was, Ava became very, 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 very good at troubleshooting. We, in fact, we were 
we were brilliant at troubleshooting <coughs> with all the specialist equipment that we bought and we spent money on it. B, well, we find faulty equipment and it is faulty and I'm sorry, it's dead. There's nothing you can do about it. In case you get the sale. We did. Yeah. You need a new server. Here's the order. Yeah. And they put an emergency requisition through and we get the business. Yeah. Not only would we get the business, but we get the support, mate. We get the installation. So we kept going that way for, what, till 2016, for eight years. Wow. Wow. And sometimes we'd hit a blinder where we'd get a £300,000 order. It's like, brilliant. Wait yeah. a second. How long does that keep us going for? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Shirley kept coming to us saying, we get three months worth of wages. So we have, if we don't make any money now yeah. and sell anything for three months, we can still pay wages. Yeah. And she said, I don't like that. Within six months. Oh, so you had a, you had a very firm so we, target in yeah, place. Yeah. So we would go out and, and we would have uh, company meetings. And at one point, I remember saying to the sales guy, we need a meeting, guys, you need to know how much it costs to run a business. And we put every cost on the whiteboard. This is what it costs to run you, the phones, everything, the whole business. And this is what we have to make every single month, just to stand still. That complete transparency was complete transparency and it worked. A lot of complete transparency, they put the ownership on them because they then had to take responsibility for their own job because if they didn't bring that kind of money, there's no job. There's no job. Yeah. A lot of people in business are scared of that kind of transparency. I mean, I've I've always liked to be as transparent as I possibly can, but why do you think owners or even just people in business, why do you think they perhaps are a bit adverse to the idea of being transparent? It's human nature. Yeah. It's absolutely human nature. You can't blame anybody for it. I realised that we had to tell people what position they were in. Yeah. Not the position that we were in. Yeah. We knew what, exactly what the position was. If we didn't take any money for three months, we were bust. That was yeah. it. We were done. Yeah. And going out and doing it for four months, getting four months money in front, and then three weeks, and then two weeks, and then one, you are going to go bust. It's going to happen. Yeah. It will catch up with you and the window gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You have to give the responsibility back to the people that are responsible for bringing them on into the business anyway and give them some ownership. And once they realised that and took ownership, and they were passionate about the business as well, as passionate as we were, all they wanted to do was to succeed and, get, and keep their jobs as well, and keep the business going. Yeah. It was in their interest, it was in our interest, it was in everybody's interest. Yeah. Yeah. Transparency, if you've got the right culture, because it's all about building culture within the business, if you've got the right culture, you can tell them everything. I think one of the biggest things for me was after we'd sold the business, a lot of the staff came to us afterwards and said, and they've they've actually since left the business, we knew Ashton wanted a new McLaren. So we worked our socks off for it to get it. We wanted him to have a new McLaren. That is incredible. Most businesses, the boss turns up in a brand new Ferrari or McLaren and everyone looks down and goes, but I worked for that. I've got to go deep into this because the fact that your (coughs) staff wanted to see you do well, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's massive. How do you create, I mean, again, I mean, without going into a you know, philosophical kind of thing, but what would be your kind of top 
tips, advice for people who want to build a great culture within a business? Keep everybody happy. And that includes the owners of the business. They have a responsibility to keep you happy. You have an absolute responsibility to keep them happy. For me, you spend more time at work than you do at home. It's true. Well, you've got to enjoy it then, haven't you? Where would you rather be? You'd rather be at home. Give them an environment where they want to be at both, where they feel that they want to go to work. and Give them responsibility for themselves. Give them that... um, What's the word? Let them know that they make a difference. Because each and every single member of our staff made a difference to our business. And I used to encourage that. Please make a difference. If you've got any ideas that can help move this business forward, move your department forward, move you forward, please bring it to us. The door's always open. <coughs> I didn't have a door. I worked on the shop floor. That's huge. Yeah, I worked on the shop floor with the guys and I had a boss. On certain days, I had a boss. Ryan was in charge. Ryan would be in charge of the technicians. I've got work to do. I've got some tickets to give out. I'd, I'd get the tickets. And they couldn't follow up on me. Have you done that ticket? Have you done that ticket? No, not yet. Well, what's holding you back? That is massive. You're holding the stats back. We need to get the tickets. And the client is... is that's yeah. huge. I don't think yeah. would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Absolutely. <laughs> be part of the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I used to introduce the guys to anybody in, in sales I remember meeting my mother on the motorway completely out of the blue she was in the same services and Liam and I were going for a meeting and I introduced Liam as a colleague really? yeah yeah so this is my colleague not as your employee no and I used to say to the staff please don't introduce me as the managing director or as the owner don't because they're a a They've nowhere else to take a complaint if I'm in there and they want to complain about me, which didn't happen. But you know what I mean? Um, or an issue. Um, and I'm, I'm one of the guys. I'm one of the technicians. You know, the chances are what you sell today, I'll probably end up installing it. Or I'll be designing it. And I don't want them to know to the owner that's doing that. This has got to be a big... This is all part of being a small business and being a bigger business everyone is is Every, in the same boat yeah the, when, they, when they, they manage the direct terms up or, or the owner of the business terms up to do the selling it's like I've got no sales you know how many sales people it was said to us in the very early days you've no sales people you're selling it and, you, and, you, and you're installing it as well no I'm sorry I can't give you the order my business expects me to give it with a much larger business it doesn't matter whether the, whether you do it right or whether they do it right or wrong. At least I know they can put it right. But for you, if you're out doing something else, um, so yeah, include the staff in everything. Yeah. Everything. Be transparent. I, I think culture is so important. I think often we get so we get so into the business, but we we to forget the importance of creating a culture where people feel empowered, they feel motivated, they feel, you know... Um, the people that are within your business are your business. Yeah. And as a boss, 
I knew that. Yeah. They are the business, not me. Yeah. It's them. They're the ones that go out and find out what's required, what's what's new in the. Uh, the amount of technicians that would come to be bringing new technology. Fantastic, that's exactly what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to learn this, do you? Fine. Um, that staff progression, career progression, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And if it wasn't where the business was going and was never going to go there, then they had a choice. But yeah. We're not going to go there. Yeah. This is where we're going to go. These are the tracks that we're on. This is what our business is. If you want to be part of that, then have a look and decide what you want to do. And if you don't want to be part of that, then sorry, this is not for you. Move on. Which is I don't want yeah. an unhappy person working for the business. Yeah. And I'm not sacking you because that's not the point. And you never know, you might actually find yeah. that you enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, how many people did we employ? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds over the years, obviously. Yeah. I think we only had two. Wow. Which is where I guess that kind of openness and transparency comes from. Being open about where you want to be as a business, yeah. being transparent and saying, "Look, this is what we're about. This is this is this is what we do. You can either continue with our journey, or look someone else that's, that's, that's more for you." Um, I think often people try to please too, too many people, and often become a kind of a yeah, you know. Um, I can see that definitely for sure. Yes. Um, Stop trying to impress the boss. Yeah. Impress yourself. Yourself, yeah, and, and take, take take ownership and accountability for your life. There's no need to impress the boss because if you do that and you've got the passion for what you're doing within yeah, that yeah. business, you will 100% be recognised. Yeah. And if everyone's doing the same thing, they'll all be recognised. Yeah. Yeah. During um, the recession, if we got spare money at, at, at Christmas, we'd pay it out as a, as, a, as a bonus. Yeah. Even if we could afford it. But it was we could only just afford this, but let's pay a bonus. Yeah. They've had nothing all year. Yeah. Because of the recession. Yeah. We've got to try and do something for everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's what we did. I wanna um, I wanna now move on to uh, racing. And um, <laughs> we're we're kind of My in passion. the most amazing place right now. Probably apart from a racetrack, obviously. In front of this thing. Um, tell us a little bit about this what thing. are we in front of right now? What is this? This is the Cooper TCR. TCR stands for touring car. Um, it's basically it's a race car built by Cooper, as they're called now. And they take a shell off the production line and create a race car from scratch. Um, this has never been on the road. It would never be allowed to go on the road. You can't convert it to go on the road. Well, you could, but it would cost you a lot of money. You may as well go buy one from the uh, it's an out and race car. Um, yeah, very quick, very very quick. Um, if you if you put it up something uh, against something like a, a Ferrari four eight eight road going car, um, it would hammer it. That's incredible. Absolutely hammer it. It's incredible. But that's what race car. There's a huge difference between a road car and a race car. Yeah. Um, yeah. This thing will drive for 24 hours, um, and you get on a on a racetrack for 24 hours in a 24 hour race. You will not get any brake failure. We have to change the brakes um, to, uh, probably twice in a 24 hour race, but the brakes from from going in brand new until they've almost worn out will give you the same performance all the way through. 
Whereas a road car, yeah. if you do yeah. three or four hot laps in a road car, your pedal will go long. We call it going long, basically you get air in the brakes, as, um, or you boil the, the brake fluid. This thing, it's built as a race car to race. Whenever you <coughs> speak about racing, it's like your entire face just, it, this massive smile <laughs> comes on. And it's, it's crystal clear to me that not only are you so passionate about racing, but you're also just so keen to learn. You've, you've come to a place where you're in the business world. Um, there's so many, so many angles to your life like, that I could go into, and we have gone into, but this transition from owning a business, running a business, um, to then being massively successful in that space to now racing seems like two very different worlds. Tell us a little bit, and before we go into your career as a, as a, as a, as a driver, just give us a bit of an overview as to how that happened, how you transitioned from one world to now over a beer. Going <laughs> <laughs> back to the beer. <laughs> but this time, not, not massively over beer. We were drunk. Um, uh, <clears throat> a mate I know him, Owen Thomas. Hi, Owen, if you're watching. Uh, great guy. There was a bunch of us owned Nobles. Um, so that Lee Noble designed the yeah. Noble. Yeah. And they had the M12. They started the M10, then the M12, only the M12, GTR3R, um, and then the M400. And at the time, I think I'd had bought my first Subaru Impreza, and then I bought another Subaru Impreza, Terzo, and then I bought a Subaru Impreza P1, and it was brilliant. Loved it, and I couldn't wait. I wasn't a racing driver, um, but I used to drive fast everywhere. Didn't know what I was doing. <clears throat> and then I swapped that from Lotus Elise 135R. Right. And it was brilliant. And the way it went around corners was amazing. But coming off the corners with your foot flat, it was like, ah, what I need is Lotus handling and impressive power. Right, okay. So I did my research and came up with Noble. Right. So I went and bought myself an M12 GTO3R. And it turns out that there aren't that many out there and that there's passionate owners that I got to meet and we tried to create our um, club. Well, we did. We created a club, really. And Owen and um, and I were basically the head of this club. And Owen said... I'm arranging this drive around Northampton to all the noble owners. Anybody want to join? I said, yeah, I'll join. Um, and he said, I've got one spare bed. I said, I'll take the bed. Um, and that was it. So we were at a brick car, 24-hour race, and I'd never heard of it. Oh and I'm racing a brick car. And we, oh was, we were told that we could do a lap around, a, a, a parade lap in the nobles. Oh so, my. so we did that as well. It wasn't fast, it was just yeah, right. up around. I went back and stayed at um, Owen's place um, that night. Then we went to... So the previous night we went to Owen's place and stayed there. We had a few drinks, stayed at his place. Got up the next morning, driving to Silverstone, called in at, um, an eating place and... As we were walking through, I said, I'll get yours. And he said, no, there's no need for it. I said, no, it saved, saved me a hotel, thank you very much. 
so we started to become friends there. We went to the um, the Pride Lab, and then we ended up in Whedon at uh, Crossroads, at the Crossroads um, Inn. And I was staying there that night. There was a premiere in at the back of it. But we actually ended up, all of us, getting drunk. And there, was, there must have been 15 of us. But there was a group of us that started talking about racing. Oh, right. And converting an Opel into a race car. Oh, right. And three of us said, let's do it. And this is wow. drunk. <laughs> very, very, very drunk. So we all got up the next morning. <laughs> And not one of us gave it a thought. <laughs> about three weeks later, I get a phone call from Owen saying, I'm at Donington, and there's a clear cult going around. And it is thrashing absolutely everything. He said, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, yeah, OK. So, are we still on for this racing? He said, uh, don't know. <laughs> Maybe. And about a week later, he phones me up and says, I found the car. Oh, my God. So I went to Shell and said, What's that? We're racing. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? And that was, yeah, let's go for it. And, and that was the first foot into it in 2008. Um, the other guy dropped out, Jules, um, for very good reasons, actually. He was about six foot five. Owen's just short of six foot, and I'm three foot nothing. Um, to try and get three of us to fit into this car was not, was not going to work, but me and Owen could just make it work. Right. Right. So it ended up with me and Owen, um, and that was the start. And our first race was a brick car. Have you? <coughs> and my very first, my very first uh, corner at speed was going into cops with my wife watching from the grandstands. Oh my god! The guys are watching me um, at the pit wall. Yeah. Matt Fox, who's on the radio, and Shell rings in and says, every time he goes into that turn one. The smoke coming off the tyres, and Matt says, "Yes, we keep radioing him, telling him, <laughs> and he keeps radioing back, saying that the engine is stuck." <laughs> that was my first experience of, uh, of locking tyres up, but not realising it. <laughs> um, and that was yeah, yeah. And I remember Claire, who was running brick at the moment, came to me uh, at the lunchtime. She said, "I actually do driver instruction. <laughs> it looks like you need it." And that was it. That, yeah, that was the first time on slates. In a proper race car as well. Does how how far back does your desire for racing go back? Has it always been inside you, or is I it kind so. of? I've always wanted. I've always liked speed. Always liked speed. Um, every car I've had, I've driven as fast as I possibly could. Um, wherever I was, wherever I was going, um, for me to get from A to B, get there as quickly as you can. Yeah. I've always watched Formula One. And at the time, I didn't know why. I just enjoyed watching it. Now, racing, I understand the the, um, the technology that's behind it, the strategies, the brakes, the tyres. I understand all that now. Uh, and I can watch Bono and go, ah, his tyres are gone. Yeah, um, yeah. They've got to come in for tyres. Or you can watch the times, and it's like, that's the tyres that are causing that. Or something on the brakes. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I've always had the need for speed. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I had my own business, yeah. and we had enough money then to be able to, be able to start racing. So that was two thousand and eight, during the recession. Blimey. So we, it was on off, on off, on yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. We'd save up money. Can we yeah. race this season? 
yeah, well, let's see how far we can get. We might not be able to do all the races, but let's at least go out there and race. Yeah. And that was me and Owen. And then we bought in the car. Oh, all sorts happened. But the book, once you, once you do it, you either get the book or you don't. If you don't, you can get yourself into a race car, go out and drive around, or get into a fast car, take it on track, and you can come off the track and go, ah, that ain't for me. Great. But some of us, it's like, oh, yes, this is what I want to do. And for me, in IT, a lot of IT people love cars. Um, supercars, racing, anything to do with four wheels, two wheels, anything to do with speed. For some reason, the IT industry is kind of ingrained into us. Um, and there are those that want to do it and at, at this moment in time can't. You'll get there, guys. Um, and there's so many series that you could go into the Fiesta Cup. I'm not sure if that's still going, but there's very there's a lot small series that you could go into at low cost. But once you get it, once you've done it, I was going to say. I mean, uh, for those young people out there, we've got quite a young following um, who want to get into racing, but they have no idea how. What would be your advice to them? Um, club racing. Uh, you can hire a car. You can hire a drive. So I like to do endurance racing. Endurance racing tends to be two people or more. Um, the good thing about that is it splits the cost amongst the, the people, people amongst yeah. three people, yeah. four people. 24 hour races split that across four people, sometimes five, sometimes six. Um, I would go out and, and hire the car first um, rather than go out and try and buy a car. Yeah. Because you'll find out, A, what it's like to race B the cost of racing uh, remember if you bash the car you are going to have to pay for that to be fixed yeah. and it doesn't <clears throat> on, on the lower end of the scale the competition is still, still fierce there are fantastic drivers in it um, and to drive some of those cars fast takes a lot of skill um, so there's always skill involved in doing something like this that's what I did and dip your toe in it so you don't have to spend all that money just try it out you come to somewhere like like here um, EDF they can run a car for it they can own the car and then they will sell you the time in that car yeah yeah just go back to skills and, and developing those skills you've got an amazing amazing co-driver um, yeah Martin, Martin yeah. who is the most down to earth humble man I've met in a long time I mean he's obviously got an, an immense amount of skill and experience yeah. Um, how did you meet him? Oh, flipping heck. First time I met him was at Branch Hatch and we bought the, the, the Clear Cup and it was our end of the first year, I think. And we were doing 55, 56 seconds around the track yeah. on brand new tyres. Um, I think we were doing 55, I think that's round about. We might have sneaked into a very high 54, but I think it was 55s. We didn't really have any competition either. We were right at the back. Um, the competition we did have, the cars weren't brilliant. We were in a proper full-blown race car, designed and built by Renault. These guys were in homemade cars, uh, homemade race cars. Um, very, very good drivers, very skilled drivers. But the car that we had was better than the drivers. <laughs> and that allowed us to stay ahead of these guys. But yeah, yeah. we were always at the back in, in, the, in, I think, class five or class six, I can't remember what class it was, but it was the very last class. 
So we're always at the back and being lapped within three or four laps. Um, what was the question? Martin, and how you guys got yeah, to... Uh, no that was it. Anyway, it got to the end of that season. I can't remember, it, it was, we were testing. Or oh, they gave us some more time on track because it was a very last race. Yeah. And we said, and Martin had been across to us and he was a clear cup champion. Right. And started telling us, you can do this, you can do that, you can do this to get it to go faster and we're going. And certainly me going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whatever. <clears throat> and it got to the point where I said, I think this car can go quicker. It's us. Why don't we get Martin in? He's a clear cup champion. And let's just see how good he is. And see what the car's capable of doing. And then everyone went, do you know what's a brilliant idea? So we put the oldest tyres that we had. <laughs> and the tyres were shot. They were absolutely shot. Um, and we said, Martin, will you come take this out for a drive? Will you take it out around the track and just see what your thoughts are for setting yeah. and everything? And he said, yeah, all right then. Obviously jumped at the chance to get back into a clear-up cup. Jumped in it. Came back. 53-second lap. We were doing 55s on brand-new tyres. He's doing 53. Blimey. On shot tyres. Yeah. Absolutely shot. I was like, <laughs> why are we not going to So that was our first meeting. Yeah. And I never forgot that. Then, I stupidly, we had a, Say it again, right? We then bought. We needed to go up a class to get quicker to be able to compete. So we went and bought a Sayat. I think it was the Mark II. Yeah. Um, proper race car, like this, but one of the very early ones. So the front was wider than the rear, um, and built by Sayat as a race car. We raced it four times and we lost it in a fire. Whoa. Um, and it was in a place like this, we lost everything. We lost all the spares, the tyres, the car, the lorry, the lot. I actually lost two cars in that. Five cars went up all together. My God. Um, and that was it, we were back at square one. It's like, what the I hell was going to say, doing? like, how the hell do you, do you come out of that? We were, it was a brand new car as well. We lost it. So painful. And we had to wait for the insurance to pay out. We were underinsured by quite a substantial amount. Um, I'm not going to put figures on it, but we actually got half uh, half the value of what we'd actually put in. Oh, so. wow. Um, At any point in that time, did you think, you know what, it's not worth it, I'm done? Yeah. We said we can't afford to race next year. Really? Yeah. Wow. We, uh, we can't afford to race next year, that's it. We'll see what we'll see what happens for the following season. See if we can afford it. Anyway, about a month before the season started, and I'm watching everybody going out testing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> crying, yeah, crying. <laughs> uh, I went to Shirley and said, "I'm sorry, but I can't watch all these people testing. I'm have to buy a car." The one, the one common thing <laughs> that I find is the importance of your wife and how she's she's kind of been there through everything. Um, she was part of the business. She was fifty-fifty. She, without that, yeah, we wouldn't be where we are. 
she was the she came in as the financial director and became the managing director she earned the right to be the managing director she she was an FD anyway but she earned the right to be the managing director I remember coming to me and saying I want to be the managing director and I said <clears throat> okay fine get rid of these responsibilities because you can't be the finance director and the managing director at the yeah. same time you, you have one responsibility so you will be the MD yes you can look at the finances but you don't run it anymore you have to pass it over when you can show me you pass that over you can become the MD yeah. she did um, and it worked it really really worked because I've seen it race as well and she's like she's instrumental I mean in terms of keeping keeping your spirits keeping motivated keeping you going you know kind of be there as a sort of sounding board as well it's really amazing to see that we lost the, the Seat yeah I went and bought the uh, Ginetta G50 we tested it we ran it in a few races and then we said we're going to do the 24 hour race long story short I smashed up badly really badly and I was my nickname was Crashly. I used to crash all the time, constantly crashing the car, pushing, pushing as hard as I possibly could, um, and then making mistakes. Yeah, it was my fault. It's always my fault. And I crashed it. I ended up in the uh, in the medical centre. The car was a real mess. Ash, I mean, the team. Sorry, yeah, The team. The car came back. There's yeah. photographs of it. I'll send them to you. Yeah. And. The car looked like it was written off. It was no, dead. No. I'm in the medical centre and I'm nearly in tears and Shirley's with me and I said, that's it. I've stopped racing. I said, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep smashing the cars off. I keep letting the team down, especially the drivers. This can't go on. And she said, you're going to get back on the horse and you're getting out there. You're getting out there now. And I said, I can't. The car's written off. She said, it's not. They're building it now. It'll be ready by the time you get back. I said, you're joking. Blimey. You're getting on the horse. Get up. Let's go back to the pits. Make your apologies. Put your helmet on. Get in the car. Drive. It's, it's scary. So that's, that's trying to answer your question. Yeah, about that's what I was going to ask. Where the drive comes from. Well, it takes yeah. two. And it took two of us but to it's drive. But it's this, I mean, you know, <clears throat> you've, you've faced fear. You've, you've, you've crashed. You've been in a place where things could have gone wrong. And to come back, yeah, right, it must take an immense amount of. Well, clearly, your wife, she kind of, she, she was back, the one, she yeah, the catalyst to get back in that car. You are going to continue. And if, because now, when I watch you, and I saw you the, the you know few, few weeks ago now racing, I mean, it's it's an amazing team. But also, yeah. I guess, and having spent the team one to one, the one thing was. Oh my God, Ash is just constantly learning and developing and going better and better and better after yeah. every single race. Yeah. And what's amazing is that you've you've transitioned from the corporate world to the racing world, which is a whole different world in many ways. I mean, yeah, it's still competitive and stuff, but I guess the skill set is obviously very different in in some ways. No, it's not. Is that right? Or no. It's not very transferable. Let's, go back, what to, let's go back to how we met Martin first. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll come back to that. Yeah. So we bought the Ginetta, went off and raced. The Ginetta was a horrible car. And I did a stupid thing. I always want to get something that's different. I always want to be different. Which is why we, we, we went with Sayat um, and Cooper. Um, I bought the first one of these into the country. Um, I'm bringing the 
something else into the country at some point in the future, which will be a first. Um, and I did a first with basically GT car, and it was um, a, Re- a Renault Megane World Series. It was a beast. And you need to look it up, guys. It's not a road car. It's basically a Formula Renault with a, like a jelly mold on top of it to make it all like a Megane. What's it called? Um, a, a Megane World Series. What's it called? What's it called? Had a three-litre engine in the back. Um, space frame. And it was mad. Absolutely mad. And I went out racing with two other guys in my car. I bought it, brought it over, and I, I couldn't drive it. No matter what I did, I couldn't drive it. And in the back of my head was Martin. I, I need somebody who understands the car, understands downforce, but can also get it across, put it across to me and not have an ego. Um, so I got in touch with him. And I said, I bought this car, what is it? He said, oh my God, you haven't had it yet. Ah, okay, you are going to need help. And that was the start of a fantastic relationship. That's when it started. That's when me and him became friends. Yeah. Um, That's when my learning started. And we've been together ever since. In in, in some ways, um, it's clear to me that you've obviously been a mentor for you as well. Without doubt. Yeah. Without doubt. Yeah. You look at me, Martin and I working together. <coughs> that's Martin. That's that's. It's the way he does it. It's the way he teaches. He, 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 I used to go into a corner as fast, uh, quick. I think I can go in there quicker, and I'd break 20, 25 meters later, and end up in the gravel. That's Martin. Okay, you, you've got as quick as you can. I want you to break half a meter later. Half a metre again, half a metre again. Don't take 10 or 20 metres because you'll end up in the gravel. And when you go past the network, when you go for the apex, when you hit the apex, go a bit quicker. And when you miss the apex by this much, you've got it too quick. Just back off a little bit. Go through data, look at his throttle, uh, throttle pedal um, position and brake pedal position and match your mind to where his is. And saying, okay, you can go quicker there, you can go quicker there. You can do this there, you can do that there. Changing our lines, all that kind of thing. Brilliant. And Martin's brought me along. It leaps and bounds. But I think also it's, part, it's, it's also massively in terms of your own interest, right? I mean, you are, you probably go beyond other drivers in terms of the, the amount of attention you pay to stats and numbers and how I mean you're, you're also very very self-critical as well I mean, like, you know it's it's amazing to see you sometimes get frustrated with yourself yeah right I sometimes get very frustrated especially when I get out of the car and everyone says you've done really well it's like no 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 I made a mistake there I made a mistake there yeah. I there I'm watching my times and I can see I can, I, I can see the predicted times coming down yeah I lost yeah. that much there um, going back to one of the things that you were asking about you know the, there must be worlds apart in terms of yeah. the corporate world and what we're doing here. It's not. You've still got a team. You've still got to have the culture. If the culture isn't right, they ain't going to build this right. Um, so the culture of the team that you're with has to has to be there. They have to have the same passion that you've got. I've got a passion for driving the car. They're going to have a passion for delivering the car. True. Without yeah. that, then you, know, you get a bad car, you can't drive it fast. You get a good car and a bad driver, then... He can't drive it fast, or she can't drive it fast. 
I owe it to the team to learn how to drive the car fast because the yeah. team makes money off the back of results and if I don't if this doesn't deliver results nobody's going to want to come and work with this with this team and say well every time they go out they're on the podium every time we go out we're nearest time it lasts but we've got the same car what's the difference team driver passion culture culture it's the same in business so there's no difference the other thing is these things are technical driving is technical it's got a lot of technical um, technical a lot of technology in it so I could we can tell you the wheel speeds at every single point of the track every single corner all four wheel speeds so one if, if one wheel is um, is not turning why is it turning well if you turn right and it's this wheel the inside wheel in the rear that stops it must be cocking the wheel up well that means we haven't got all the rubber down which means we're not getting the same grip through that corner well what do we need to do we need to adjust the suspension to keep that back down so we've now got all four contact patches down there and now we'll go around the corner quicker yeah. so it's all that kind of stuff that A the team delivers and the drivers deliver um, and from a technical perspective it's very similar to IT for me um, how the car behaves and how you make it behave how you drive if you're heavy on the brakes you'll cause the car to understeer in the wrong place at the wrong time if you're not if you're not heavy enough on the brakes there's all sorts of things that you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not on the throttle quickly enough I'm not getting the back to rotate yeah. you're not getting the back to rotate you're not going to go around the corner quicker um, this is all the stuff that Martin teaches me that yeah, I learned yeah, yeah. and it's you know, for me it's still fascinating when, I, when we get the data and you think you know everything and then Martin will say something and go, I never thought that. So if I did this, that, the other, I should get a pick. Okay, I'll go out and try it. And now I've got the experience and the confidence now that I can try what Martin asked me to do. Yeah. Whereas in the early days, it's like, no, I still don't break that late. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just like, okay, he says he can break later. I'm going to break later. Um, and I won't go off. You know, part of it is you do it and, and it, it surprised you for the first time. The car might start to go into a spin. In the early days, it would go into a spin and it would keep spinning, crashly. Now, I know what to expect most of the time. I'm not saying it still doesn't happen because it does, uh, but most of the time it's like, yep, yeah, okay, I expected that, catch it. Obviously, the amount of passion you've got has meant that you're more than willing to be constantly trying to improve, improve and, 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 and be better that's led to the uh, drive of the season yeah tell us a little bit about that complete utter surprise you yeah. had no idea no idea whatsoever yeah we came second overall in the championship we know we would have won that if, if we hadn't had the problems at Silverstone but that was basically a fuel tank problem uh, the phone in the fuel tank was uh, disintegrating which we had no idea yeah. and it was blocking up the uh, the, uh, the lift pump um, so that caused a massive problem in the very first two races which is all two races on the same day and that was it we are on the back foot from there on in but we still came second in, in class in the championship but we came third overall in the championship which for us is brilliant against the GT cars and then to top it all which for me is as good as first if not better actually yeah drive of the season 
amongst all those, all those fantastic drivers, and they are, yeah, and, and I see the effort that all the other drivers put in, and they put in a lot of effort as well. To get that, yeah, I can believe it. Absolutely gobsmacked to be recognised out of all those drivers, and yeah, it's the end of the season. It's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. <laughs> Um, before we uh, come to the end what does the future for the team look like what are you looking forward to I know you mentioned there is um, a new car but what else are you kind of looking forward to in terms of where do you see see the brand going we've got a new car coming we're not going to announce what that is until next year um, it's completely different totally different totally different drive uh, totally different performance so for me it's going to be a learning experience again so we've got a lot of testing to do before that yeah. the championship our brick car now has gone up a level um, they're now officially the MSA British Endurance Championship which we think is now going to start to attract some proper well some professional drivers some more professional drivers um, so we've got to be on it so we're going to have to do testing. We're going to have to. I'm going to have to learn the car. Martin's going to have to learn the car, but obviously Martin's um, an ex-professional driver. Uh, it will. It'll take him a few minutes, and then it'll be. He's on. He'll be on it. Um, so we'll be working very, very hard together. And again with Eddie, the team, Dave, Craig. Um, we'll all be working very, very hard um, on basically getting up to speed and staying there. Aspirations. In terms of uh, where you want to be, I think you know what that is. Top, top. We want to win. We want to win our class. Um, want to be on the podium at every race. Top step if we can do it. But we know the competition is going to be hard, very, very, very hard. So, and everyone's going to be at the top of the game. We've just got to do the best we can and give our best with the passion that we've always given it. You know, last year was a very successful year for us very um, the unfortunate Silverstone okay it happened put your head down and go for it again but we are competing yeah, to say that we came second in the championship and third overall it shows you that now we've got we, we have a competitive team yeah I presume obviously you still go you, start up, you still have ups and downs like, like anyone in life and in racing as well do you have a kind of um how do, you, uh, how do you pick yourself up? I mean, success obviously comes over a long period of time, but you've obviously had to go through a lot to get there. What is it that's kind of... Uh, confidence in yourself. Yeah, yeah. And the passion. Yeah, if you feel down, for me, if I feel down, it's because I feel that like I've let myself down and let the team down. So I have a determination to deliver to the team. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, no and I know I have to get back in yeah, the car yeah. so I've got to get my head into, into the right space and say okay I've got to deliver for these guys um, and also for me you know, I enjoy driving the car fast around the track and sometimes mm-hmm. driving a car fast around the track you might be two or three seconds slower than you've ever been before it doesn't mean to say that, it's, that you don't enjoy it as much it's still as much fun until you get the competition in there and then you go oh flipping heck he's two or three seconds <laughs> quicker than yeah. me <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I better, yeah, better get my skates on um, I mean this this game especially you know, in business you get highs and lows the highs and lows in business are you've been offered a, 
but we're about to get this one million pound deal, and then the following week you find out that you've lost the one million pound deal. Awesome. You know, that's a huge high to a huge low. Yeah. But you've still got business coming behind it. Yeah, you know, it's it, it might have been the icing on the cake. Brilliant. Yeah. As a business, you're still going to survive. In this thing, it's massive highs and massive lows. Really. And there really isn't a middle. If you don't win, it's a low. It's really interesting. If you win, it's a high. If you get knocked off track and you don't finish the race, it's you're gutted. And, and when I say a low, when you're in a low, you truly are gutted. And you don't really want to talk to anybody. You don't want to even discuss it. Um, but I force myself to. And what I'll do is I'll get the video out, of the, and I'll get the data out of the car, bang it in a laptop even though I don't want to do it. I say, Martin, come and tell me what I've done wrong. Really? Yeah, yeah. There's, so there's been two times where I've had some two big ones <clears throat> and I couldn't quite understand it I went Martin can you just come and have a look at this you know, and I'm gutted watching it thinking ah. and then Martin will go and I said, I'm sure it wasn't my fault this is Martin yeah it was was it? what did they do wrong? and then we can go through the data and I learn from it don't do it again See, it's really easy because people Often the instinct after a hard event is to just switch off and to go to a dark room. <laughs> and, you know, but in your case, it's almost the fuel to kind of... It has to be the fuel to... to you never stop learning yeah. when you're doing this. We talked about Donington. I'm not going to go into that now, but the learning that the two of us got between us. Um, you never stop learning. Never stop learning. Even the pros say they never stop learning. Um, yeah. You've got to... And, and you've, you can't have any arrogance. You can't be arrogant. Well, I think Martin is the exact opposite of arrogance. Yeah. He's, you know, I mean, yeah. he's got many, many years and um, just watching him speak to you, watching him work with you and seeing what he's like... Um, He's, just, he's, he's a very good mentor, obviously, because the success that you've seen is... We've been together for years. You only have to look at the last three years where I've had the time to race, I've had the time to put in yeah. a simulator. Martin's quite often on the phone. Have you been on the sim? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet on the sim. I want you on the sim. Yeah. I want you to do an hour a day. I want you to do this, I want you to do that. I want you to change this setting. I want you to do he that. Would, he would push you. Yeah. push you, yeah, yeah, especially before we're, we're, we're racing. It's like, get on the sim, please. Uh, wow. Um, it's not constant, but it's enough. It's enough time to keep you... Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a nag, but it's enough. It's got a really good way of making me feel guilty about what... That was on my train, actually. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Put the yeah. phone down. Upstairs, off, fire we go. Up, off we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it, it does it in a really nice way. Yeah. Um, and it and it's worked. You know, all the hard work that Martin Yeah, it's gotta be it's, it's gotta be said that Martin puts a lot of hard work into me. So I owe it to him yeah. to actually deliver back to it. Yeah. There's no point yeah. in getting in the car going, Oh, I can do this. It's yeah, get in the car, get your head on straight, think about what and yeah, you know, we'll work a corner at a time. Yeah. Um we'll talk maybe three or four corners and it'll be right, I just want you to do that on this one corner. And that's what I'll do. But sometimes, sometimes, I can free enough up in my, in my brain to go, I can actually do three corners at a time here. 
I'll leave corner number four till the next time I go out. But then, you know, within a few laps, I've got those three right. Okay, now I can concentrate on corner four. It really works. Honestly, um, Ash, we've gone for hours. I know. I know. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it's been <laughs> such, <laughs> such a pleasure speaking to you. Um, you have no idea how much I've learned. I've gained a whole newfound appreciation for what you guys do every single day. Um, and uh, I guess from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for the time that you've given us. Thank you. It's been so no, It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank um, you. And, and I, I don't think I get any questions from uh, from anybody. That, sure, we will. They may be watching this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more than happy to answer them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and, it, and if I can just help anybody from what I've said to just push themselves that little bit more, a little bit harder. You know, the harder you push, the easier it gets. In business, the harder you push, sometimes the harder it gets. Um, sometimes it's harder because the business isn't doing as well as it should do. But for us, fortunately, it became harder because we were being more and more successful. And that's a great problem to have. And if you can have that as a problem, which we had for year after year after year, you talked about getting staff and how difficult it was to get them. Moving to Leeds was, was a big part of that. But as we started to get the right people, we became more and more successful. The more successful we got, it was harder to find the right people, but you start to attract them. And if you're in that position, what a fantastic position to be in. What a great problem to have. You know, someone coming to you saying, we've run out of credit with such and such a, a distributor. Um, what a great problem to have. Thank you very much. That means you've sold our credit, uh, our credit line. Um, up to finance to go and discuss now how they can actually now finance whatever whatever that is. Yeah. But you know, these are these are not problems. They're not obstacles. They're just part of running a business. And actually, what a fantastic position to be in when when that happens. You know, I haven't got enough staff. Great. Let's go get some. Exactly. Oh, that's going to be hard. We haven't got enough money. Um, in credit, great. Go find some more credit from somewhere else. It means we're being successful. I've got a VAT bill coming in. It's a big one. Even better, because we're making money for paying VAT. It's a mindset, isn't it? It's a, it's, yeah. You know, it's a, and I think it's a mindset that's been cultivated over time. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's about how you look at it. If you, if, you, if you view it as a problem, as, a, as opposed to as an opportunity to, to grow, then, you know. A lot of success comes from what people call failure. I, I wouldn't call it failure from not succeeding at something. The next time you attempt that, guarantee you'll succeed at it. What a fantastic learning step. Let's not forget, guys, it was it used to be Crashly at one point. Yeah. And now we've got, we've got... Drive of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. Uh, finally, one last thing. For those who do want to get in touch with you, um, any particular platform that they can reach out to you on, uh, not really. I try and stay private. Um, if they can contact you, absolutely I'm happy fine. To answer. Um, I am on Facebook, but very difficult to find. <laughs> um, Ash M S O H S on Instagram. Uh, again, I'm private, but feel free to become friends. Yeah, and obviously, um, and I'm sure that they, they can find videos of you racing and stuff on YouTube or whatever. EDF Motorsports. Do a search on YouTube for EDF Motorsports. Uh, 
we are tidying that up at the moment. Um, last year was a bit of an experiment with it. It worked. Um, and also follow me the F Motorsports on Facebook. You'll find some videos on there because last year we started doing the, uh, live streaming on uh, on Facebook and then we've moved that onto YouTube. So actually, for if you if you find the F Motorsports on YouTube, subscribe to it. Um, go to the Brick Car website. You'll see the decks of the races on there, and you'll actually be able to. And also search BARC Bark. Um, British American uh, British Associated Racing Club can't remember uh, but if you find them there's live commentary on there um, and you'll be able to find live in car of us guys actually behind the wheel which is phenomenal yeah which, which, which is pretty cool yeah Just and you can cool. actually watch the two side by side yeah our live streaming is about 10 seconds behind their live streaming um, by law that's supposed that, that they want us to do that um, that's their rules actually just in case it's a bad accident um, so they can cut the streaming like that um, so they don't really want you to see that yeah. neither do we um, and it isn't going to happen anyway I'm not crashed anymore so yeah India Motorsports Sports on YouTube Facebook uh, search for Bark um, and you'll find on the days of the uh, of the races that will come up and they'll be shown live and on the India Motorsports Sports YouTube You'll see us doing testing live, uh, qualifying live, warm-up live, and the race live. That's amazing. There you have it, guys. Thanks for watching this interview, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Thank, Thank you very much. much.